Welcome back to the Love Your 9 to 5 show, episode number 15. I sincerely believe that every single one of us have something that's unique and we have a skill or what we call a superpower. It's almost as if if we could press a button, we would love to be always in vacation weekend mode. Caution, you will begin to love your 9 to 5 with this show. Join us as we explore and discover your unique strengths and learn to apply them to your daily business activities with your host, Shmuel Septimus. Hey, Shmuel, you you with me? I am here. How are you doing, Jason? I'm great, man. How are you? Doing great. Great. So, yeah, for the audience that's listening, this is a little bit of an experiment for both of us. If you're listening to us, this is a shared podcast episode uh, for me with the Small Moves podcast, as well as with Schmuel's podcast. We are both releasing this episode on each of our particular venues, and we're just going to have a conversation about each other. And we're going to be interviewing each other at the same time. Like I mentioned, this is sort of an experimental thing for the two of us. I really wanted to interview Shmuel for my show. And he, when I was approaching him about that, he, some things came up in conversation about my past that he thought might be an interesting fit for his show. So rather than us doing two separate interviews, we're deciding since we're both relatively new at this game of podcasting, we decided we would just do one recording and both release it on our two shows and we'll just see what happens. So I'm sure I speak for Shmuel when I say if you could please give us some feedback at our individual community pages or websites, just let you know, let us know what you think about this format. That would be great. Uh, Shmuel, do you have any other things to say about that? No, I I love the way that you're upfront with the listeners, that this is definitely experimental. Um, I'm really excited to do this with you. Like you said, um, I, w- I thought that you know we have a lot in common between both of our shows. And I think that through this conversation, um, I, we're definitely going to have a good time. I know that from the pre-show conversation. And sure. I'm really hoping that the listeners on both of our shows will be able to get as much benefit as they can um, from actionable information that we'll share. And at the very least, hopefully it'll be an entertaining conversation. Yeah, absolutely. He was like, if not, if nothing else, at least entertaining. That's it. Um, so Shmuel, for the listeners of the small moves podcast, can you give us a little bit of your background? Tell us about your show and tell us about your professional and personal background, I guess, and just sort of let, let the audience get to know you a little bit. Sure. Um, I will say this is my first time answering that question on a ah. podcast. So let me see how that fails. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my name is Shmuel Septimus. Um, I live in Boston, Massachusetts. I am currently the host of the Love Your 9 to 5 podcast, which is a podcast uh, devoted to helping others really begin working and appreciating uh, you know, the work that they do every single day. One of us have something that's unique and we have a skill or what we call a superpower, which something that we can excel at and apply to our professional environments so that we will absolutely love what we do every single day. As far as my background is a little bit unique. Um, Jason, I don't even know how much of this I shared with you beforehand, but I have not had what you would call a traditional job until I was 30. Um, I've been, you know, I'm a Jewish Orthodox 
person and I've been studying uh, Talmud, which is the Jewish law in the original Hebrew and Aramaic language for 15 years or so, um, probably 10 hours a day and you know, really been involved in that, completely not involved in the professional world until I, I really just you know, came into the, the healthcare administration field. Well, you know, when I was started, that's when I really got my first traditional job. So that gave me, um, that gave me a, a, probably a unique uh, way of seeing the way we all go about our jobs. For me personally, it was so exciting to finally have the opportunity to express certain talents that I didn't have the right format or forum to express them in my previous life. And I, <clears throat> I genuinely was loving my nine to five. I really was. And, and when I came into work and I hear some of my fellow employees saying that, you know, it's Monday and everyone has the long faces. And then I, heard, I was introduced to Thirsty Thursdays, which in concept, I like that, but I just don't like that. It has to be that way. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, oh my gosh, the weekend is coming. And then all we hear about is the weekends and on Monday's year, how the weekend was and then the vacations. It's almost as if, if we could press a button, we would love to be always in vacation weekend mode and this work is some sort of curse that we inherited that, you know, it's an obligation that we must do to True. to pay our bills in order just to get to this place of enjoyment, which is not work. And that is something <laughs> that, to me, I view that as tragic. Um, I, I just, there. Yeah, I, I think that it's nothing short of tragic. And I think that I know uh, for now, for having done this for a few years, that it's definitely possible uh, to enjoy what you do. And not only that, the only real enjoyment that's that's possible is through being productive and expressing the talents that we have. And, you know, I've been working with assisted livings in the past, um, you know, a little while. In my role as a nursing home administrator, I have to network with other healthcare organizations. And I've asked them, what is the average length of stay? How long does somebody who comes into an assisted living um, actually stay there before their health deteriorates and they have to move to you know, to a higher acuity healthcare setting like a nursing home or a hospital, mm-hmm. and from all the marketing and cut me cut in if I'm talking too much, but uh, no, sure, okay. From all the marketing that my I, audience, my audience doesn't know you. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with you going. Go right ahead. All right. So um, from the marketing material that I've consumed, you know, from radio ads and other print ads about assisted livings before having ever walked into one was that you ha- you retire at 65, you move into either independent living or assisted living, and that's when the fun begins. And you play bingo all day, and you drink, and you eat, and you watch movies, you go on trips, and it's just like, it's you know, it's paradise while you're still here. And sure. That's kind of what I thought. But then when I was working with the marketing person at a local assisted living, she was explaining to me that, no, the average um, length of stay is 21 to 29 months. And after that, so that's you know roughly two years. And two after, years, yeah. after that, usually most people's health you know doesn't stay the same um, as it was when they came in, and they move on. and And I see even in the nursing home world, I see people come in, they retire, and sometimes they they're they were you know fully active just a few months earlier, and they're barely holding on. You know, a few months later, having suffered some sort of health setback in the hospital. And, you know, sometimes they do the runaround, they go to the hospital, to the nursing home, to the hospital, to home, and then, you know, this, you know, it goes down again, their health, and it's a downhill, you know, battle from there. So two things, I guess. Uh, number one is waiting till 65 to be in life is way, way too late. I know we're living longer than we used to, 
And, you know, people are, you know, living well into their 80s and 90s and some of them well past that. And that's wonderful. But I have no patience to wait until I'm 65. Yeah. I'm with, yeah, I'm with you. I was going to say is like that that's a that's a very nice excuse to use <laughs> when it comes to trying to delay delay gratification is like, oh well, it, you know, it's okay. You know, they're saying people are living really into their 80s and 90s now, so it's okay for me to, you know, dredge through the you know, the 7th level of hell for the next 35 years because it, it's okay. I still have time right uh, right and look at those 65 uh, <laughs> year olds right what do they look like health wise and are they still able to physically engage in the same enjoyments that you know that life has to offer at that age i mean the answer is no you you know for the most part it's it's different um but but what if you do look around at the at the warren buffett's of the world and now i'm not a fan of of workaholics but, sure. but people who are working at something they genuinely enjoy, it doesn't matter if they're in their 70s, 80s, or 90s, they don't want mm-hmm. to retire. They, they don't want to stop, yeah. No, of course they don't want to stop because there's nothing more enjoyable. They're genuinely enjoying that most of the time. There is something called you know workaholics, which is not because necessarily they're enjoying it. But, sure. but there are plenty of people who are successful, and that's their retirement is just to keep on doing what they're doing, keep on growing and developing their skills and growing their businesses, giving back to the community. And it's not the weekends are necessary. Vacations are necessary because, you know, we need to recharge. Otherwise we run out of steam, but that's not the goal. The goal is to be able to spend our days doing productive things like we're doing right now, right? It's a, it's a Sunday morning and this is our downtime. This is our weekends right now. And we're both being productive. We're putting together on our, our knowledge and a way to share it with a greater audience. Um, really just, you know, to make a difference. And this, sure. you know, in my in my book, doing what we're doing right now as often and and to the the highest level that we can, and providing value to others, that that's enjoyment. That that's loving your nine to five. And and you know my my staff now um, is starting to learn that themselves too. You know, unfortunately, um, you know, for them, they hear too much about my podcast, and <laughs> and the, the, you know, my ideas are tested out on them. But they're starting to like it. They're like, you know what? I should really enjoy this. Let me, let me see what I could tweak to enjoy this. So well, yeah, I, it's like, go ahead. I'm sorry. So I guess just that's the the long-ended answer to just about who you know who I am and where I'm up to right now. Go sure. Ahead. I mean, yeah. And I was going to say, like, the, but it's it's something that you're enjoying, and it's so funny. Like, people, you might say that the people that are working with you are hearing too much about your podcast, and that that is absolutely the case in my world. Like whether it be my in-laws or my best friends or, you know, my wife or whatever, like when you, when you get those random calls from somebody, when I get those random phone calls from some of my best friends, you know, where we just kind of call, you know, we just kind of call each other just to, just to shoot, you know, shoot the breeze and catch up. It's like the first thing I'm talking about is like, Hey man, it's like the podcast is going great. I'm having a lot of fun. Like they don't care the bit about my pot. They might not care a bit about my podcast, but I'm like, it's what I like to talk about. And to me, it's no different. It's no difference than a rock climbing junkie that like, that talks about, you know, what they like the, the type of terrain that they hit this past weekend or the gym rat that's over there that likes to talk about the milestones that they're hitting or, you know, that whatever, whatever it is that you're into, or like if you're, if you're, if you're really big into building model ships, whatever it is, like, it's the thing that you like to talk about. And that thing, those things keep your brain engaged. They keep your body engaged. It was like, I, as, 
clearly I'm not going to be comparing myself to somebody that's out there like running the Moab 240 or something like that. But, you know, when I'm recording, when I'm recording my podcasts, like I'm standing up, I'm moving around, I'm I'm expending energy doing this. Like this is fun to me. Like doing the, doing this work is fun to me. I'm having incredible conversations with incredible people. I'm learning a ton, not just from my guests, but from the process of being a podcast producer. Like I know so much more about audio, audio editing software, like the difference between the hardware that you use versus the software that's used to make sound sound amazing. Like I didn't, I didn't know any of this stuff before. I'm just sitting, I'm just a guy standing here talking into a microphone. Like I don't know this stuff or I didn't know this stuff until I started doing this. And it's, it's fun. It's like, it's a hobby. Oh, by the way, this hobby could potentially become a business. Yes, that, that is absolutely the case. And that is something that, I am driving towards myself just because of my entrepreneurial nature. That's the direction in which I'm going. Hopefully, um, hopefully audience is like <laughs> audience, permit, audience permitting, of course, of course, but you know, the, my, I mean, my background for, for your audience that might not be familiar with me, you know, I've been on the entrepreneurial side of the world, the lion's share of my life. I've had, you know, get, I started work. I started work when I was 15. I started working when I was 15. I got out of school, you know, with my last regular, regular job, I'd say at 21 or going on 22 when I got my first full commission sales job mm-hmm. working at, working in the mortgage business for a bit, for a big monstrosity of a national bank who's, name whose you know name bank of america i won't mention here on this show of course um no and so i i got my job first job there i hopped around to a couple of different companies there looking for different opportunities in the commission side in the sales side in the management side i was looking at a lot of different things and then i came to the realization that i was spending an enormous amount of my time while doing commission sales in the financial services industry, doing nonprofit related work on the side with a skew in the direction of fundraising. Like that was, it wasn't necessarily all that I was doing, but it happened to be what I gravitated to either membership in membership related organizations. I was, I was the head of the membership division of a couple of different large, large scale nonprofits in the Baltimore area. Mm -hmm. So at least in the volunteer, from a volunteer aspect, like those are the things that I was focused on. So it's something that I have an act for. So I decided to get out of the mortgage industry in 2008, just in time. Ha ha. Right. <laughs> and then um, I decided to start my own company to do contract, nonprofit and political fundraising. It was, it was my skill set. It was something that I enjoyed doing more than anything while I had a job doing other things and doing those things as a volunteer, I loved it. There was nothing that I enjoyed more. Mm -hmm. And then that was 2008 into 2009 through into 2010. And then I came to the realization that when I have to do the thing that I love as for money, I kind of hated it. (laughs) it. Why is that? 
Well, because for me, and maybe maybe it was just a bad. In I in retrospect, I can I can argue with myself that it was due to a bad decision on my part that I shifted from doing nonprofit fundraising to political fundraising. I got into the political machine, as they say. Okay, um, where you're you're forced to pick teams, you're forced to take sides, you're forced to start treating others with disdain in order to push your side. And that just really soured me to the so, process. So just, so I, it, just so I understand, let me just cut in for a second. The fundraising sure. skill um, sounds like it's probably the same skill. It's just you don't have the same type of motive to you know to work for a nonprofit as it is for a political organization, or it's maybe not as clean. It's not. It's absolutely not as clean. But uh, well, you can argue that it's that it's not. The, I can I can make the argument based on experiences that I've had that it is actually not that much different. Uh, at the grander scheme, like say for example, let me take you for a second. Like take you out of your current job, and let's say you go out and you see a massive hole in the elder care industry. Not that there's any holes in that industry whatsoever where service suffers. Mm-hmm. That never happens anywhere, of course, but let's just pretend that it did. Right. Yeah. Let's just pretend that it did. You you see you see people fall through the cracks and you decide that you want to do something about it. You you're being an entrepreneur. You're starting a nonprofit and this is your passion. This is your love. Now, when you compare that person to somebody that works for a nonprofit that raises a couple hundred million dollars a year which was what some of my nonprofit related experience was. Wow. Like it think think the big national health care related nonprofits that are out there. Okay. This one I won't this one I won't mention their name. Okay. But you know, well think think of it out there. You know, there there's there's the Cancer Society, there's the Heart Association, there's all like there's all of the biggies. Yeah. You know, it was one of those biggies. Okay. Um and your role was to bring in a couple hundred million a year? No, not my. That wasn't my role. I was talking. That was the organization. Oh, like okay. my, my. But what I would say is that the their their almost disdain for the people like you in that like you're you're the small one person that's passionate about this thing. You were really a waste of time for them. You, for if if I was to, if I was trying to raise money and you, let's say for example I'm I'm going to make this up but let's just, let's assume that it was the American Heart Association okay and your you just lost you lost both parents to heart attacks one to a, one to stroke one to a heart attack mm-hmm. the mission of the American Heart Association would be something pardon the pun very dear to your heart you would want you would want to you would want to help you would want to volunteer you would want to try to raise money and you would want to give you know. $50 a month, $100 a month or whatever it is to that organization. Well, if I was having a conversation to you about a way for you to help out with this organization, at those numbers, I would be in no uncertain terms heavily dissuaded to bothering myself with someone like you. I need to be talking to your employer to get them to pay $50,000 to buy a table at our annual gala. But so, you, your, but you yourself, you're a waste of my time, and I find that to be tragic. And that's something that I see that I saw quite a bit 
in the nonprofit sector once you started to get into those realms. And I just felt that to be incredibly unfortunate, very similar to the political sector, like very similar to the political sector. The individual donors, yeah, everybody likes to brag, oh, we raised $10 here, $5 here, whatever people can spare. But really, they want the guy that can write a quarter million dollar check. And everybody else is just kind of a waste of time. So basically, and, basically it was more about the numbers than anything else, even though the smaller numbers really, um, they align much more with the official mission statement of both organizations. Exactly. But exactly. If, they're not, if they're not going to affect the bottom line, so you're spending a half hour on the phone with me and you get $50 a month. They're gonna. That's not what they hired you to do. Is that basically? Yep. Yep. You're gonna get. It's like you being me, be me being me. I would get slapped on the wrist for wasting a half hour of my time getting a hundred dollar donation. You know, I should have been in a boardroom meeting with somebody. And my experience working for that organization, um, my experience with that organization lasted seven months. After seven months, I was like, I can't do. Like, I'm being completely disingenuous. I can't do this because you're because ta- once you get to that board level you're not talking to people that care that much about the mission right they're look they're, they're looking for they're looking for write-offs they're looking for exactly. sponsorship opportunities that gets them as the platinum sponsor of the annual blah 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 yeah, it's you all know, business like, exactly that and th- that that was just that was just incredibly unfortunate and it, and it soured me to the process so i assuring myself that I would never let that happen again. Uh, but I, it was a skill set that I had. I didn't know what to do with it at the time. So I decided to go out and start another small business, which ended up being a small delivery business. And I, I fell into it where I just happened to fall into a good, a great contract within a month of starting. And that contract has been with me to this day. And it's a phenomenal, you know, municipal, you know, municipal based contract that has been a wonderful base for this business going back seven years now. And it's great. It's just not the most mentally stimulating business in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so I'm constantly looking at doing different things. I also actively listen to 26 different podcasts oh because gosh. I'm, I'm <laughs> out, dri- I'm out driving around all the day, all day. I'm an evangelist when it comes to podcasting. Wow. And you know, that's what kind of brought me to the small moves podcast and where I am now, my wife and I, we're in the process of thinning out all of our stuff and we're planning on moving into a tiny house or an RV or something along those lines, you know, with our two kids. Ha ha. People think we're insane. Mm-hmm. You, you um, clearly read the four hour so we're, look, we're looking to do that. Is, is that correct? Uh, Say that again. I said you've clearly read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. I am an, I am a, apostle of tim ferris <laughs> it's like i i then my, my audience knows that about me i'm a huge fan of the guy um <clears throat> reading that reading that book reading that book literally changed my life um i'm not and i'm not, I, I know a lot of people use that terminology when they read any book that has a little nugget in it no, that I, was helpful that to is- me i am I am a true I am a true follower of of his stuff that book absolutely changed my perspective on everything well wow. Wow, so you're you're taking that very literally, literally. Wow, I, I don't. I, I, what I'm trying to do with that book is to try to see how that plays into everything else, you know, that I have going on. I don't plan on you know being as extreme and moving into an RV and moving around, especially with five kids. Sure. Um, that could be in ch- a challenge. Um, you know, it's private schools. You know, just because I have to send them to Jewish schools, and although it's mm-hmm. not, it's not completely off the map. But sure. um, but the concept of 
you know, it, it, the goal off the rocker off the rocker, maybe, but not off the map. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> but uh, I mean, but the basic goal, it, it, you know, it opens up your mind. It really does. If you really, you know, absorb that book, it does change everything because it challenges the status quo as trading dollars for time. I think that's Absolutely. the biggest, biggest piece. And there's no and there's no correlation necessarily as far as the level of success that a person can reach as being in a traditional you know, work workforce and being on a payroll as opposed to setting up a business. And even more than that, I mean, I've been in businesses and, you know, companies where there's a corporate culture that, you know, sending out emails at two o'clock in the morning about something that's completely unimportant is <laughs> something that's praiseworthy. And that's wonderful. You're rolling over middle of the night to answer that email and, you know, you have a new idea or just forward some more minutiae to someone else who will forward it to someone else. So that nothing like, boy, and, and, and all and all you hear is boy, that guy's a go getter. Yeah, it's, right, exactly. It's like I I view that now, which is what I used to think. I used to think it's like wow, like the, these new productivity tools that are coming out. I mean, keep in mind, you know, this was when I this was when I was getting out of the mortgage industry. Like this was two thousand seven, two thousand eight. It was like the iPhone has the iPhone just joined the world. It's like oh my god, these new tools are going to allow me to actually not have to wait till the next day to respond to my clients. This is going to be amazing. Right. Crap. Fast forward 10 years. We're like, oh my God, how do I burn this thing? Exactly. It's like, it's like exactly. Look, now, now when I now when I see an email come in, when I wake up in the morning and see an email that came in at, you know, 2 30 in the morning from somebody that I know that I'm related to professionally, I'm like, man, his marriage must be in trouble. Exactly. You know, it's like it just it, it it has. It's completely changed my perspective. I don't I view, I don't view that as being productive. I view that with pity. Like at least, but that's that's just how I feel now. This, I mean, I didn't think this before. This was this was a waking up moment for me. Yeah, I used to be one of those people, and I would turn over yeah. and respond to those emails. And people said about me, "Oh my gosh, he is a go getter." But just by you know zooming out of the situation a little bit, and I've had the opportunity to work for you know a few companies over the last few years, and just being able to compare things, and I see that the the effectiveness of that crazy workaholic mentality, where you know where someone who the later you're up and the more emails you send and the longer the email chain, the the more important and busy you are. It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't produce results and and as a matter of fact I'll I'll just you know I just recently moved a few months ago to a new company where there is zero corporate culture and it's like the volume was just automatically went from ten to zero like oh, I, God bless there, there's yeah there's no conference calls there's no in person meetings uh, my boss is you know via text and WhatsApp <laughs> not even on the phone and I have you know. He trusts me to completely run the company and I don't have to send reports every four minutes or look at reports or just I, I noticed that I actually had time to do my job. As stupid as that sounds, <laughs> I literally did not have time to do my job from when I woke up, from when I came to work, um, sometimes from when I woke up actually, until yeah. until the day was done. Oh, I was like most of the time was, you know. Uh, responding to reports and the outer report, getting on a conference call, driving to a meeting, coming back from the meeting, preparing a PowerPoint for the next presentation. It was just so much, so much minute. And in between is just responding to emails about nothing, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, just pushing things along and just, you know, just stirring the pot. And as far as actual results, we never had time to think on a higher level as, okay, what are the two most important things that this organization needs to move forward? Yeah. In my opinion, go ahead. I was going to say, like, and what, and it's so funny that 
even even while remaining in the corporate culture. And one of the things, and I I know this is turning out to be almost a commercial for Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Workweek, and I do I do apologize for that, everyone. But there are so many great points to consider when talking about when having the conversation that we're having right now, which is someone that works in the corporate cult that works in the corporate culture up as, on the other side of the table of somebody that would probably take a nosedive off a roof if I had to take a corporate culture job again. Like the, So w- completely different mentalities in that way, but there are so many things that can apply to both scenarios. Like one point that was made, in the, was made in the book, if you're working in the corporate culture and you get caught up in one of these bottleneck jobs like what Shmuel has, where you're looked upon as the authority figure, you're the one that needs to make a decision because no one else wants to take responsibility or make a decision. One of the suggestions that Tim Ferriss mentions in that book that I always loved was to not purposefully disregard your email inbox for, for between 24 to 48 hours, not respond to anything that came in within that window. And basically what he would say is that by the time he would get to an email where someone was sending him a panicked email saying, Oh my God, this happened. What do I do? How should I handle this? What am I going to do? If you just ignored it for a little while, guess what happened? They figured it out on their own. And then by the time he got around to sending an email about it, you know, to a day to two days later, the quick and simple response he get would be it's like, Oh, we got it squared away. Thanks. Moving on. Right. Or right. You follow oh my God. <laughs> you know, it's like, God, he's like, God forbid, shut up for a second. And it's amazing how problems have a tendency to just kind of solve themselves. It's like, don't offer yourself up as the sacrificial lamb and problems begin to solve themselves as, uh, as us higher primates have learned to kind of figure out after a while. Right. Right. It's like when the, it's like when the alpha's off into the jungle, it was like when the alpha's off in the jungle, the betas kind of had to step up and do stuff. Otherwise everybody was going to die. It's like, that's it kind of how, that's kind of how we're wired. Right. I know um, I was talking to Kevin Cruz, which I mentioned to you before the show, from um, he's the author of the 15 secrets smart people know, successful people know about time management. So one of the things that he has there in his book is he says that he hung up a sign on his door with the big number 1440 on it, which is and people would come in, they would ask, you know, what is the number there for? And um, this might pertain to me more than it pertains to you, but uh, he would come in and just explain simply that there are 1,440 minutes in a day. And it's a reminder to me to know that that's the number of minutes I have and to prioritize every minute that I have in my day. What would you like? Do you need something from me? (laughs) So he said, (laughs) as a a result of that, the got a minute meeting requests decreased dramatically and people were, were able to do what they were paid to do, which is to mm-hmm. use their skills, which is what you hired them for, and to actually solve the problems and not wait for, for daddy to bless it and say, okay, yes, you should do that. Or for you mm-hmm. to hold their hands and do it for them, which also goes into what Tim Ferriss says. Yes. And I know going back to that um, of delegation where he set up certain systems where, you know, anything under a certain dollar amount, you can make that decision yourself. Or to set up guidelines, right? He for his VAs, for his virtual assistants, he set up rules for them. You know, these types of emails go here. This goes there. And um, I know I tried to do that also, is to allow people to take responsibility for their jobs and to pull it all together 
that will make them love their jobs that much more. Yeah, because they, because they have skin in the game. It's like, why do you, if you go back to, if if you're listening to uh, the Small Moves podcast, going back to episode seven, where I interviewed a good buddy of mine, Arvin Budrum, he had a corporate job at HBO. He was a coder and he was working for HBO. And that's a job. That's a lifetime job. That's a job where you just, it's, it's a big corporate publicly traded behemoth where if you work there and keep your head down and don't, you know, don't suffer, try not to suffer from the tall poppy syndrome, just kind of keep your head down and do your job. That's a job where you could be for, that's one of the few jobs that are still around where you could be for 40 years and, you know, retire with somewhat of a 401k and a pension and be relatively well set, but you, you're not allowed to stand out. Or if you stay, if you stand out, you get, you get chopped down. It's amazing like where, and everybody hates their job. So he met, he mentioned about how he had changed to another uh, small tech startup that was based in Manhattan. And he was, God forbid, he was given personal responsibility to the end product. Like if you're a coder working for HBO and you screw something up, no one's really going to know, at least not the people that are con- consuming the content, the product, the final product. They're not going to know. You're you're anonymous. Whereas if when you take this job with the startup where if you mess up, the website's going to crash or the app is going to crash or whatever, and that's going to affect your 500,000, 1 million, 2 million, 10 million subscribers of this service. Whoa. That that gives you a whole nother level of engagement with your job. And for the people that can't handle that kind of pressure, obviously that filters them out very, very quickly, but it then very quickly fills those positions with people that love to be engaged in the process. At least that's my, at least that's been my experience where if you give people responsibility and getting back to the Tim Ferriss example that you were just using when, when setting those rules, he also set specific dollar limits. And that was actually something that I found interesting was, you know, when he, he, he had a, um, God, what was it? It was an, it was a, it was a physical, physical nutrition, uh, right. product business. Uh, brain, I, I think it was called brain, brain quicken. I think is what it, Yep. Brain quicken. This is what it was called initially. And, you know, if a customer called up with a problem with the product, hey, it was open. Hey, it was I didn't get any benefit out of this or whatever. When customer service calls would come in, these virtual assistants would have to call him every single phone call. But this is, hey, this person had this problem. What should I do? Hey, this person had this problem. What should I do? And after a while, one of the rules that he set up with his virtual assistants was, okay, if the problem can be solved for less than fifty dollars, don't talk to me, just fix it. And then he would reevaluate their cases once a month, once a quarter, whatever, and say, okay, this person is actually doing really, really well. I'm getting good reviews from them. That person's limit just went up to $100 or $500 or $1,000 or whatever. And then eventually the phone calls stopped because the people started taking responsibility for themselves because they were authorized to do so. And so for people that are listening if you are a if you are a supervisor of some sort the best advice that i could give that i've seen is if you want your people to bring you less problems give them the authority to solve problems themselves without significant recourse obviously if someone tries to solve a problem like if if you give your 
facility maintenance guy authority without limit to solve the mouse problem in your facility. And he solves the mouse problem by burning down the building. Obviously that's something that requires a conversation afterwards. I think so. But, <laughs> but, but within reason, let your people, let your people do their job. No offense. They know their job better than you know it. Let, let, let your people do their job. It's amazing. The results that you'll see. Yeah. I mean, and besides for improving the quality of the job and life of the supervisor, and I could talk to that as as a supervisor, um, sure. but at the same time, they will be so much more engaged at work. And now they care, like you yeah. said, they have skin in the game. Now, now they they make a difference. And you're right, you know, those who don't like making decisions and they just like you know kicking up any decision up the corporate ladder until someone has a decision that's handed down and they just implement it. Then they they, they may no longer feel comfortable on the team, and that's good that you that you see it now. It's good for them. It's good for you. Um, and you know, if they can't adjust, then it, they never were the, the greatest fit, but for most people would, they, they'll enjoy that because now, now they have the opportunity to apply their skills, which, which, which you can also help them define through this process, because if they're going to have to start making real decisions, um, based on real problems, they're going to have to dig it deep into their toolbox and try to see what other tools they have there. They may have to pull something out from the bottom and dust it off. Say, hey, I can deal with this customer um, through, you know, active listening and being authentic to them, being straightforward with them, saying, hey, you know, this was a problem. Here's how we're going to fix it. As opposed to saying, well, you know, my boss is busy. You can schedule a meeting in three days. And by then the lawsuits are coming in the mail. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, so, so, so that can really that can really, really uh, benefit. Um, what what I I was actually recent recently reading uh, Pat Flynn's book called Will It Fly? Will It Fly, yeah. Which um, I guess you're familiar with. I am. Okay. I recommend everybody that's listening to read that book. If you've, if you've ever thought about starting any sort of a business, the, this book will absolutely put on the brakes for a second and give you a really great model to sort of run your ideas through just to make it sure that you're not doomed for failure from day one. But anyway, go, go ahead, Shmuel. So I was actually tr doing the exercises, um, the airplane test, which basically is a method that he has, which mm -hmm. uh, enables us to write down on a, with a pen and a paper um, the four most important areas of our lives and exactly where we want to see ourselves in five years that would make our lives just totally awesome. Now, regardless, uh, the purpose of the test is to gain clarity and to, for it to be a litmus test on which to weigh any new business idea that comes, that even if the idea will be successful, if, you're gonna, if it's not going to match with your real true values, then you either won't be successful or you definitely won't enjoy the ride. But I think for, for, our, for definitely for my listeners, I think for yours as well, um, that is a wonderful method of just figuring out where, where exactly do I want to go in my general professional and personal life. And with that, to say that in my current job or my current business, it doesn't fit with the overall picture that I want to go to or not. And the reason why I mention this is because Tim Ferriss is definitely a very unique personality and he's done all sorts of crazy things all over the world with his tango dancing and he's been in some Japanese films and Thai uh, kickboxing and all kickboxing yeah. and, sure. and, and again, that's something that for him, those are the things that he loves to do, and he wants his passive income from his businesses to support 
uh, that lifestyle, and that's wonderful. But that's that's what he wrote down in his airport test. Mm-hmm. Um, I could tell. I'm not going to share everything in my airport test, uh, but none of those things are there. But I definitely know where I want to go, and I'm sure that you know where you want to go. And maybe not everyone really thinks about it. I've had so this Shmuel, conversation. Go ahead. So, so Shmuel, you you don't want to be a professional Japanese horseback archer. That's not that's not on your list. No, it's not. I, I like to keep my <laughs> options wide open. Uh, <laughs> as as those in my closer circle will know that there are a lot of crazy things that still are not ruled out. Um, I actually posted something recently. Um, I forget where it was. I think maybe on my Facebook page where um, it says a quote from a comedian, I believe, that says the reason why grown-ups ask kids what they want to be when they grow up is because they're looking for ideas. And I absolutely love that line. I hope you got it. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely love that because I'm still always looking for ideas and I'm open to just about everything, but not that. But my point with this is that if we really know where we want to be, then we'll say, okay, working for HBO as a coder for the next 40 years is is that going to support everything that I want to do? Being a podcast host, does that open up opportunities that will be more in sync with the direction that I want to go to? It seems like, again, I'm taking this from a different perspective, um, just coming on to the professional uh, world a little bit later than, than others, perhaps, that it seems like we kind of sign up to this program that we we need to, you know, we need to have a job and we need to just keep on going and pay those bills and work hard so that we have bills to pay so we could try to get a couple of vacation days in where our boss won't be emailing us too much during those vacation days so that we can work. You know, it's just like this vicious cycle that yeah. we need to put the brakes on and, you know, and really evaluate where it is that we want to get to and and then start figuring out, you know, practical ways to get there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally with you there. Yeah. The, 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 um, what, what I find so interesting about it too, is putting, putting down those, those goals, what it is that you're trying to do that doesn't necessarily preclude the job at HBO or the corporate or the corporate position that involves all the conference calls or reports or whatnot. I don't, my brain doesn't work that way. I can't fathom how those people can handle jobs like that. But there are people that actually enjoy that setting, whether whatever their personality type is that that permits them to actually enjoy that type of work. Or for, for example, if any sort of career related goals or achievements don't make your top, your top goals list, but if your goal is to climb Mount Everest or your goal is to whatever it might be, like whatever those things are that are on your list, sometimes I'll this I'm making this sound derogatory, but I'm not in this particular case. Like the the mind, the mind numbing, keep your head down, shut up, do your job and take your three weeks, you know, in the summer job that could actually get you to your end goal. I don't want to, I don't want, as we're sort of circling for a landing here with the, with our conversation, I don't want the audience to get the wrong idea that both of us are just sitting here poo-pooing the idea of a nine to five job. What we're doing is saying that you need to be true to what you actually want. If you're not the type of person that can handle a job like that, 
don't stay in a job like that. Find something that works for you, but you need to know what works for you. I like the point of going back to Pat Flynn's point of will it flies. Like get get to the I write down the things that you actually care about and that you actually want to accomplish. And then put everything that you're doing through that filter. Is this helping? No, scrap it. Is this helping? Yes, keep it. You know, because sometimes if you're, if for example, if you, if you're a mountain climber, I keep going back to that. I keep going back to that example because it's something that's the farthest thing in the damn world from what I am. But <laughs> if you're, you know, if you're, if you're into hardcore mountain climbing and you get a lot of practice in at like the earth treks or whatever the organization is that does like really great indoor mountain climbing and you're lucky enough to have decent outdoor mountain climbing around where you live. But for you to go and do a hardcore climb at a hardcore mountain somewhere on the globe, that's not something that you can do in, on a weekend trip. Like that's something that's going to take two, three, four weeks, a month. If you're running your own business where you're trading your time, if you're trading your time for money in your own entrepreneurial venture, you can't, you can't just ghost for a month. You can't do that. Whereas if you do have one of these corporate jobs, if you've got three weeks, four weeks, you know, three weeks plus coincidentally a paid, a paid medical leave week, whatever right. it is, <laughs> you can, you can do that type of stuff. So that if that's the thing that matters to you, that's okay. Just like, just know Shmuel's audience, my people know, my people know this about me. That is absolutely not me, but that doesn't mean that it can't be you. Just know know what is you is, I think, the point of our entire conversation here. Absolutely. And I'll add to that that, you know, because I'm fascinated by the way people choose to spend their professional careers, I've asked some of my staff and people who don't work for me um, who have been staying in within the corporate world and doing mm-hmm. their nine to five or w- whatever their hours are, and these are people who I know could be very successful opening up their own businesses. And they're also the ones who have the boots to the ground and they see where the openings are and the opportunities are for businesses. Mm-hmm. And I've asked them, you know, why, why don't you come out as a consultant? You've been a clinician for 30 years. You've seen everything. You have so much value to offer, which you give to your own company that you're working for. But if you come out as a consultant, you could you could double your salary overnight and you could really grow from there um, you know, tremendously. And many people, again, they, they're staying where they are because they do understand what they want in life. And they want to know that when they close their computer at 4.30, 5, 6, whenever it is that they leave, they're done. And they're it, doesn't done. Matter, yeah. it doesn't matter if the building's on fire. It doesn't matter if healthcare disappeared. Their check is still coming every two weeks. And regardless of, you know, of what's going on. And for those people, absolutely. And probably most people fit into that category. Yeah. Uh, many, many people do. And another another group of people who who you know thrive in the corporate environment, and I'm not saying this necessarily in a negative way, but I guess I have to give that introduction. There are, there are those who thrive on all the back and forth, the, the things that we both describe that we don't enjoy. No, um, <laughs> let's see how to say this politically correct. But put it this way: you know, I have a family. I'm part of a you know I'm an active member of my community, and I. I'm very comfortable with my self-image regardless of what anyone in my, my business encounters think of me. I honestly really don't care. I don't I, I don't I mean I guess I'm human so you know to some extent I care but that's not where I get I guess to be more honest that's not where I get my 
uh, definition of self. So sure. if, if I can get you know 20 people to do what I want them to do, and even if they don't want to do it, if that promotes the goals of the business, and if that's the correct thing to do, I'll do it. But mm-hmm. that's not that's not where I get my kicks, I guess. So sure. so for me, that you know, I don't need to or want to be in that role. But there are others who perhaps you know they they get a big um, a big definition of self from the workplace, which is not necessarily a bad thing. That could be a great thing, and yeah. they're the they are the people who want to be even on that higher level in the corporate world. And there are so many people like that, and for them, it's very good. Yeah. The point is just, um, I think we're on the same page with this, is for each one of us to figure out where do we fit. And obviously, we're oversimplifying this. And it takes thought and it takes you know days, months, years of reflection. But just to be conscious of the fact we don't have to stay wherever we ended up if we just ended up there. We should and consciously choose where we want to end up and then start making the tweaks and the adjustments in a sensible, responsible way to get to where we want to end up. Here, here. Yeah, I'm sorry for that monologue. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, so, Shmuel, the like I said, I think that's a pretty solid place for both of us to wrap up. I wanted to ask you, uh, there's one question that I ask all the guests of the Small Moves podcast. I'm not sure if, you, if there's anything that you do similar, but um, one question that I like to ask everybody, kind of getting back to the concept of my show being sort of radical incrementalism, like what, what are the what are the small incremental things that could eventually end up making a significant difference in, in one's life, regardless of the area of life. Um, your answer to this question can be limited to your professional career, or it could be why it's wide open. You can, this can apply to anything. Um, what purchase have you made in recent memory of a hundred dollars or less that's had the most impact on your life? Like, is there something that you can think of that's made a significant impact on your life with a price point of at or at or less than a hundred dollars? Well, first off, I love the question because the, the purchase completely threw me off. I had a different, completely different answer um, uh, through that because I know there are other shows who ask, you know, what is the one thing, you know, that they can implement? And this, I ask my, my audience, um, you know, what is the one practice or a small change, what's the one small actionable step that everyone listening can take uh, to make a real um, to, to make a real change in your life? But you're saying something different, a, an actual purchase that I've made, um, $100 or less. And it can be, an, just, just caveat, it can be a subscription-like thing where the total price point is less than that, or but there, there's, there's some flexibility. You're, it's like, in... As as it pertains to this question, you are my guest. Feel free to say whatever the hell you want, but I try to keep it roughly in that $100 mark. No, I got that. Huh. Um, if we go into the world of books, or, or um, I, I can say that I think that there are so many. I mean, I am a little bit of a junkie when it comes to this. Huh. And probably if I thought a little bit longer, I would come up with a different answer. But what I think something that has, I mentioned Kevin Cruz earlier and his book, you know, The 15 Secrets That Successful People Know About Time Management. I was actually, um, I guess, fired from one of my previous positions due to my mismanagement of emails. And there were, there were you know, 150, 200 emails coming in every single day. And I was just starting from the top, doing as much as I could. And there were serious stuff that, you know, did not get dealt with. And it wasn't just that, but a lot of it had to do with time management. 
I actually came back. I'm going to answer a question, but I actually came back and um, I had a, I had like a conference call with the owners who are kind of friends of mine and my direct report and explained to them why I thought that decision was wrong. And ultimately, I did get my job back, but I was on a very, very short leash to show them that things are going to be different. Um, and at that point, especially with my family responsibilities, I don't have any, tr- I can't be picky. I just need to make sure that the checks are coming in. So um, there were a couple of things that I did to improve it, but the most significant one was the purchase of that book. And the most particular tool that I pulled out of that book um, was what he calls his MIT, his most important task, which means that every single day, I try to do this every single day before I go into work, I actually write down on a small index card, what are the absolutely most important things that must be done uh, today? And if I do these and nothing else, my day was successful. And if I don't do these, my day was not successful. And these are things which are not necessarily things that take a long time, but these are things which are very high importance in regards to the overall mission and goal of the organization, which I guess in my role as you know the administrator of the of the healthcare facility, you know th- that's my responsibility. And then when I do get to work and start my day, those are the things that I you know block off everything, close my door, find a quiet place, and get those things done first and out of the way right away before I deal with everything else uh, that I do. And just that one tip alone has really tremendously um, helped me improve my general workflow to the point that I'm actually now working with others, and I've done this in the past, that I've shared this method with others to help them be more productive and more focused in in their day and has helped them out tremendously. So I don't know if that's exactly what you were looking for, but that really, really helps me out every single day. No, that's that's exactly what what I was getting after, sure. What about you? Let me get right back at you. Um, if there was one particular um, hack, trick, tweak um, that our, our listeners can apply directly, you know, immediately um, in order to either to get to help them define what their unique skills are or more importantly, how to find a way to apply them into their current uh, work environment or their personal environment is there any one particular thing that you've done in the past that has been successful for you that uh, you think that it would be beneficial to share them to share with the listeners of my show and your show morning pages all right are you are you from are you familiar with morning pages no it's a it's an it's marketed towards artists but it's a journal um journaling frankly is the is the thing that has helped me but a very specific type of journaling as as i'm sure you know as a fellow follower of tim ferris he's a huge advocate of keeping a journal because it just kind of help helps to sort of tame tame our monkey mind um but with me being a pretty extreme adhd case squirrel Anyway, the, uh, with me being a relatively extreme ADHD case, I my brain is moving a thousand miles an hour all the time. I generally don't have much trouble settling down at night, but during the day and especially in the mornings, just my brain is exploding. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to do it. I don't know how to start. And uh, funny, a combination of two a combination of two purchases totaling under a hundred dollars um, has actually helped me a ton. One of them was my first variation of my first copy of morning pages, which if you go to Amazon right now and just type in morning pages, it'll come up. Um, it's, it's a journal and it's a process of journaling where you take a pen and you write freehand brain dump for three pages per day. 
Now, if you write big, obviously this will go relatively quickly. If you, if your journal looks like you're a psychopath and you write really small, then really big and then sideways and upside down, you know, you might give the wrong impression to your family, but the point of it is you want to just write what's on your brain, no matter what it is for three pages every day. And it just cuts down on the noise so much and it takes five minutes or less like this isn't something this isn't something that takes a lot of time because there's a lot of journals i've experimented with a couple of different types of journaling out there just because i hear from every direction you've got a journal you got to keep a journal all your best ideas come out in your journal blah 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 i've tried so many different styles of journaling and morning pages has been the easiest one for me because i don't have to think about what i write down like a lot of the journals that are out there, you want to answer certain questions. List three things that you've been that you're that made you feel very fortunate today. List the three things that went great. List the three things that went bad. You know, remind your it was like remind yourself to you know to tell your spouse that you love them. I'm like, if I need a book to remind me to tell my wife that I love her, we that have problems. Bigger, <laughs> we have bigger problems in our marriage. It's like I tell my wife that 50 times a day. I don't need a book to tell me that. The morning morning pages there is no structure the structure is think out loud onto the page for five minutes that's it that's it i Um, started doing this you know i i am such a computer tech type of person and i use all the apps to record everything uh you know into random thoughts in the car or writing things down taking pictures of everything my staff know you know, if it could be emailed, do not give me a paper because I'm just going to lose it. Especially, I'm always walking throughout the building and I pick it up one place, I drop it somewhere else, and everything gets goes missing. Sure. But having said all that, I did start recently just writing things down. And like you said, like a brain dump. And especially when I'm overwhelmed and I'm not sure where to go in a certain way, just put everything down on paper. Mm-hmm. Even if I never, ever read it again, just the process of writing it. And I've tried it with, you know, with typing and it's completely different. It's different. Uh, yep. It's completely different. And I know there are studies on this that, that show that it's different. And I hate my handwriting. And um, I'm not going to show you what it looks like. But what I do know, <laughs> <laughs> what I do, and the truth is, I, I, you know, how many people still write when everybody types everything? And, you know, for communication, emails are much more efficient. But by the act of writing down on a piece of paper and just, like you said, a brain dump of everything, it just clears up the mind. And um, even if you don't refer back to it, and I did start referring back to it as well, which is another added benefit. Well, I have to say, I mean, and just a closing point on that is I, I like how you point out it's like email is a lot more efficient and typing is a lot more efficient. And yes, that's true. But let's not forget that some of the best ideas in the world come out of inefficiency. True. True. I forget which CEO it is. We could look it up afterwards who said, I think the the founder of the Virgin Company said that his uh, most valuable asset that he has with him at all times is a small notebook. He says so many of the you know multi million or uh, dollar ideas and companies that he created were all a result of you know the notepad that was with him, and that anytime something came up, he wrote it down. Now I do the same thing with you know Evernote and things like that. It's just it's different. It's not the same. It's I know. Same, and I hate to admit that. Same. Because this would be uh, she is right again moment, <laughs> but I, I do hate to admit it, but there definitely is a place for paper in our in our forever increasing technical and digital world.
But um, really, you know, just to wrap this up, if, if you don't mind sharing with my listeners, and I'll do the same with your listeners, where's sure. the best way for them to follow everything that you're doing, Jason, and you know, your website and give it to us? Sure. My my website, my web address for the podcast is smallmoves.co, not .com, .co. Okay. And on the socials, you can follow me on Facebook at JC Hertzberger, or you can follow me on Twitter at simply uh, twitter.com forward slash Jason Hertzberger. Uh, those are the best places to find me and to follow me. Um, that okay. is probably that's probably the best way to find me. Excellent. And I'll put links to those in, in my show notes. That'd be great. Uh, How about you? Yeah. And for me, um, the best way to, to find me really is uh, schmallseptimist.com uh, slash podcast. That's where the podcast is found. Um, you can find it in iTunes as well, the Love Your 9 to 5 show. And um, you can also follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's all at Schmoll Septimus. And um, I can put links to that as well. I can send that to you. And yeah, and that's, that's where you can find basically everything that is going on. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So everybody that's listening, thanks a lot for bearing with us in this experimental format. I know this episode ran a little bit longer than Schmoll's audience usually goes. I do, I do appreciate you bearing with us if you're still indeed with us. and. So that being said, on my end, I appreciate you and thank you for listening. And I will talk to you all next time around. Okay. And Jason, I'll second that. This really has been a pleasure. Um, this, this, is, this was experimental and actually was a lot of fun. And I, I'm excited to hear feedback from both my listeners and your listeners to see if this is a format which was beneficial and to see if it's something maybe to do in the future. But this really okay. was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for your time, Jason. Yes, sir. Take it easy. I just want to thank you for sticking it out to the end. Please let me know in our Facebook group if you like this format and you like the way we did this episode. I would really appreciate to hear that feedback and that would be so helpful to shaping the way we do all of our episodes. If you have not already joined the Facebook group, simply go over to facebook.com and put the words love your 9 to 5 in the search box and you will see our our group come up and just click join and we'll be sure to add you to the group and so you can join the conversation. You could also send me a direct message on Facebook or as always you can send me an email and that's schmuel at schmuelseptimus.com S-H-M-U-E-L at S-H-M-U-E-L S-E-P-T-I-M-U-S dot com. Looking forward to being with you in our next episode.